part one section two of a defence of idealism by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part one the panpsychism of samuel butler section two now at any moment i may wake from my sleep i may remember what i have forgotten my attention may be drawn to what is going on around me even my ignorance of what president wilson is going to do will cease when if ever he should finally make up his mind and with a little trouble i can inform myself of what my neighbour is doing in his back yard but of my states of unconscious cerebration i am never conscious and i may go all my life without being conscious of a single one of my inherited instincts or of those hidden things and the probability is that i shall in no circumstances ever be conscious of by far the greater number of them even of the things i merely do not attend to to say nothing of the million impressions that assail my sense organs every instant of which every instant i remain profoundly unaware the chances are that though they must be faithfully recorded somewhere i shall never be more conscious of them than i am now i am insisting on these distinctions familiar to every student of psychology because they help to clear up the original confusion and because we shall have to consider them very carefully later on for the moment then we must assume that the terms unconscious and unconsciousness stand for any or all of those psychic or psychophysical states of which we are not conscious and by the conscious and the consciousness we have been talking about we mean states of consciousness and nothing more otherwise we shall be begging the question of the existence and the nature of the ultimate principle we desire to re-establish later on we ought to mean this and we must mean it for whatever else we want to mean and intend ultimately to mean it is all that discrete psychology will allow us to mean at present unconsciousness or the unconscious then resolves itself into a negative abstraction but we must not forget that in our context its function was neither negative nor abstract it played a very positive and concrete psychological role and if we are asked whether in dismissing it we have anything half so good to put in its place we may say that states or processes of which we are not conscious will do extremely well and if we want to keep the old terms the unconscious or unconsciousness understood as a sort of convenient shorthand for these fuller and more precise terms we may or we can use them as equivalents for the sum of those processes and states as we have seen by far the most important part among them was taken by the will to live it is this will to live that we have conceived of as transferred and transformed or sublimated and as passing over from the unconscious to the conscious as if it belonged veritably and by its own nature to both worlds if it did it would be as good a bridge as any we have a right to ask for and it may prove to be all the bridge we are entitled to have but we found the greatest difficulty in representing to ourselves at all intelligibly its double role and as far as our conception of individuality and personal identity is bound up with this conception of the amphibious nature of the will to live it will be affected by its vagueness and confusion it may be that this is inevitable and that we cannot form any intelligible conception of either 
or of their relations to each other in which case we shall have to accept the problem as insoluble and put up with the vagueness and confusion let it be clear that this trouble is the old trouble carried a step farther and that the vagueness confusion and unintelligibility arise from nothing more or less than the intrusion of the unconscious with a big u into the region of the conscious with a big c as a matter of fact unconscious states states we are not conscious of always are intruding that is to say conditioning determining generally influencing and for all we know to the contrary actually causing conscious ones they can do this to the disturbance and the detriment of our individuality or perhaps a most disagreeable thought even of our personal identity now if it could be shown that there never was an unconscious psychic state that was not at some time or other a conscious one and may be at some time or other a conscious one again if it could be shown that all unconsciousness at least of what we call past states is simply a forgetting which is never final and complete if further it could be shown that what we call forgetting is never fortuitous or arbitrary is never even involuntary that we forget not because we must but because we will and for our own purposes and that we remember for the same reason remembrance being selection and selection an act of will and that both remembrance and forgetting serve the interests of our individuality and are part of the everlasting process of sublimation we shall be very much nearer the solution of our problem than we are now i confess that i should not have known where to turn for the precise evidence which will show this if it were not for the work of samuel butler the only thinker so far as i know except his predecessor professor ewald herring who has succeeded in making the subject of heredity thoroughly intelligible i might have said who has made it thoroughly amusing at the same time the undeserved neglect of butler's scientific work is probably owing to his incurable habit of being amusing not mildly and academically but startlingly recklessly extravagantly amusing throughout the entire course of a serious argument what was the scientific world of the seventies and eighties to think of a man who could dream of immortalizing his address on memory as a key to the phenomena of heredity under the title of clergyman and chickens it seemed to consider the man who couldn't control himself far enough to be serious over a serious subject like that was not to be taken seriously besides though butler could dissect clergymen very skilfully it was evident that he had never so much as skinned a chicken in his life so the scientific bigwigs of his day neglected butler and i am afraid that even at this time psychoanalysts who can talk about the polymorphous perverse and the father imago without the ghost of a smile will have no use for butler either still they ought to have for he has done more to make them intelligible than they have themselves i cannot help myself to as much of butler as i should like for i should get into trouble with the holders of his copyright so i must refer my readers if i am lucky enough to have any to the four books on evolution and heredity life and habit evolution old and new unconscious memory luck or cunning and all the passages in the notebooks of samuel butler which bear on those subjects and on individuality and personal identity 
and if in the end i accept butler's theory of heredity and reject his theory of individuality and personal identity it is for his own reasons and for others which i hope will be made clear first of all readers of butler must forgive me if i take them over ground already familiar to them first of all he starts with certain observations of experience actions which we once performed with difficulty and with attention with immense effort of will and intense consciousness such as playing an instrument writing reading talking and walking we now perform automatically and unconsciously and with the success increasing according to the extent of our practice that is to say according to the numbers of times those actions have been repeated the point of perfection being only reached when the action is performed unconsciously all these actions constantly repeated have become habits of our body still a certain amount of consciousness goes with the action of walking and a greater amount with the action of talking and so on while butler might have added continuance of all of them past the point of fatigue will bring us back to effort and consciousness again so that we can realize how great must have been the effort and how intense the consciousness they started with but the older actions and habits such as the beating of the heart breathing and digestion are unaccompanied by consciousness and effort or any memory of consciousness and effort and butler asks is it possible that our unconsciousness concerning our own performance of all these processes arises from over-experience his entire theory of evolution is thus based on the simple truism that practice makes perfect when he finds an action performed with a supreme perfection a supreme unconsciousness he concludes not that these actions have always been unconscious but that ages of practice of effort that has been conscious have gone to the result he argues that we do these things so well only because we have done them before because in the persons of our parents and our ancestors we have practiced doing them for untold ages observe that butler regards the experience of our parents and our ancestors as our experience just as much and in as much as our bodies are our bodies because in short we know how to do them what is to know how to do a thing surely to do it what is proof that we know how to do a thing surely the fact that we can do it a man shows that he knows how to throw the boomerang by throwing the boomerang no amount of talking and of writing can get over this ipso facto that a baby breathes and makes its blood circulate it knows how to do so and the fact that it does not know its own knowledge is only proof of the perfection of that knowledge and of the vast number of past occasions on which it must have been exercised already and what holds good of the baby and its body after birth holds good before birth a baby therefore he says has known how to grow itself in the womb and has only done it because it wanted to on a balance of considerations in the same way as a man who goes into the city to buy great northern shares it is only unconscious of these operations because it has done them a very large number of times already a man may do a thing by a fluke once but to say that a fetus can perform so difficult an operation as the growth of a pair of eyes out of pure protoplasm without knowing how to do it and without having done it before is to contradict all human experience ipso facto that it does it it knows how to do it and ipso facto that it knows how to do it it has done it before and what holds good of the unborn baby holds good of the primordial germ-plasm there is in every impregnate ovum 
a bona fide memory which carries it back not only to the time when it was last an impregnate ovum but to that earlier date when it was the very beginning of life at all which same creature it still is whether as man or ovum and hence imbued as far as time and circumstances allow with all its memories that neither the baby nor the germ consciously knows and remember any longer is what we might infer from the present ease and perfection of their performances we must be all aware he says of instances in which it is plain we must have remembered without being in the least degree conscious of remembering is it then absurd to suppose that our past existences have been repeated on such a vast number of occasions that the germ linked on to all preceding germs and by once having become part of their identity imbued with all their memories remembers too intensely to be conscious of remembering and works on with the same kind of unconsciousness with which we play or walk or read until something unfamiliar happens to us this something unfamiliar that happens to it being birth and when we look at the life of the grown-up individual and of the baby and of the germ as an unbroken series it is a singular coincidence that we are most conscious of and have most control over our distinctively human functions and that we are less conscious of and have less control over our pre-human functions and that we are least conscious of and have least control over those functions which belonged even to our invertebrate ancestry in which our habits geologically speaking of extreme antiquity surely an utterly incomprehensible arrangement if we exclude consciousness and design from evolution perfectly comprehensible not to say inevitable if we admit them there are other facts in evolution which are perfectly explicable on butler's theory and utterly incomprehensible if we exclude desire and design and the continuity of consciousness in all organic beings such are the sterility of hybrids the instincts of neuter insects and to some extent the effects of use and disuse which fit into it without exactly calling for it his conclusion is not that memory and instinct are habit but that all habit and all instinct are memory that both are the result of practice that both unerring and perfect in adaptation as they have become presuppose knowledge and volition on the part of the individual that displays them and not as we are accustomed to imagine merely on the part of its ancestors that when we talk about inherited memory or inherited anything we have fallen into confused thinking and are using words without meaning that every reflex is a lapsed volition and all unconsciousness a lapsed consciousness that change and growth arise in fulfilment of a need a want a libido having at one time been brought about with consciousness with design and with volition that the individual inherits his own and not another's and therefore knows it again so perfectly that he is not conscious of it he himself the irreducible entity having been present in all experiences and in all memories we call racial or ancestral what is this talk he asks that is made about the experience of the race as though the experience of one man could profit another one who knows nothing about him if a man eats his dinner it nourishes him and not his neighbour if he learns a difficult art it is he that can do it and not his neighbour but when we come to ask how the individual has been present in the experiences of his ancestors and in what way his ancestors on this theory differ from him butler's answer though transparently clear 
is hard to reconcile with any conception of the importance of the individual not that there is the smallest confusion in his mind on this crucial point an impregnate ovum he says cannot without a violation of first principles be debarred from claiming personal identity with both its parents we ignore the offspring as forming part of the personality of the parent the law perceives the completeness of the present identity between father and son the continued existence of personal identity between parents and offspring but can a person be said to do a thing by force of habit or routine when it is his ancestors and not he that has done it hitherto not unless he and his ancestors are one and the same person it is also expressly stated that oneness of personality between parents and offspring is the first of the four main principles laid down in life and habit personal identity he says cannot be denied between parents and offspring without at the same time denying it as between the different ages and hence moments in the life of the individual on this showing the individual has but little that he can call his own it is not so much that the memories of his ancestors are platted in with his memories as that his memories all but the comparatively few and insignificant ones contributed by his experiences after birth are platted in with theirs to say that this is impossible because he has never appeared as an individual before birth is to beg the question of his appearance and his individuality it is clear that butler had no particular prejudice in favour of his own conclusion but that he was driven to it by an impartial survey of the facts we shall see later on that he was driven into the very last place where we should expect to find him the last place where he would have wished to be i repeat there is no confusion and no hesitation in butler's mind on this point we were our own parents and grandparents we were our entire pre-human ancestry even after birth we are little else besides and before birth we were nothing more he even regards the individual's life while yet in the bodies of his parents as superior to his life after birth because he considers that all perfect knowing is unconscious when we were yet unborn he says our thoughts kept the roadway decently enough then we were blessed we thought as every man thinks and held the same opinions as our fathers and mothers had done upon nearly every subject life was not an art and a very difficult art much too difficult to be acquired in a lifetime it was a science of which we were consummate masters and yet butler has just pointed out that unless we have maintained our own personal identity throughout the experiences of our forefathers those experiences will in no way profit us on his own showing this must be so equally on his showing it is difficult to see how it can be for throughout the entire argument the individual is identified with his own experiences after birth and with his own and his parents memories before their experience as individuals is presumably what he does not share all his embryonic experiences are vicarious and more vicarious his experiences further back at the same time he is said to have participated in these experiences the trouble is that when butler talks about a man's being identified with his parents he does not seem to have considered all that is implied in identification a is identical with b in this that b is identical with a if a man is identified with his grandfather his grandfather must be identified with him but according to butler identification is a lopsided affair in which a persists and b disappears 
while everything depended upon b s persistence so where by what chink does he come in and in what cranny does he lodge if the most that he can show for himself is this cellular prenatal existence in the bodies of his parents and his grandparents and of all his countless ancestors each of whom must have enjoyed precisely the same sort of existence in the bodies of their parents and ancestors we are still no nearer the secret of his being granted that he thus participated in each and all of their experiences in his primordial cellular way still the manner of his participation remains mysterious even if we assume as we perfectly well may a most extraordinary capacity for participation and for storage of experiences in the cell how are we to imagine participation practical and intelligent participation such as will enable him to perform creditably a series of complicated coordinated actions as soon as he is born without a participator butler's arguments are unanswerable we cannot explain or account for the most ordinary facts of our life and consciousness without presupposing that we have lived and been conscious before and yet there is not one of his unanswerable arguments that cannot be turned against his own conception of personal identity unless the individual carried through all his previous experiences some personal identity over and above that of his progenitors their experience will remain theirs and be no earthly good to him for he could not profit by it to the extent he has been proved to have profited if at every stage of his past career he had not been capable of absorbing and assimilating it of taking it to himself therefore he must have a self a continuous indestructible self distinct from his progenitors selves yet in direct communion with them to take it to it is precisely that self that personal identity over and above that butler denies to him and in denying it to him he denies it equally to each of his progenitors all along the line there is none to participate and none to profit grant him that self and the whole process of evolution and the whole problem of heredity are transparent as a pane of glass deny it and we are where we were in the dark days of darwinism but whereas darwin and wallace at least left us free to take what natural selection could not give us what butler's right hand gives us his left hand snatches from us again it is as if buffon and lamarck had opened a window on the dark side of our house looking towards our past and it is as if butler had found that window and cleaned it and made it bigger and called to us to look through and then in sheer perversity had closed and darkened it before we could look again and be sure of what we had seen end of part one section two recording by expatriate in bangor maine